This is peaceful. This is sublime. That is equanimity. So if you have sati samadhi and panya, that kind of mental state, then there's equanimity. There's peacefulness. And he says then when the practitioner sees the flowers or the cat poop or the piece of chocolate cake, the next thing is just as quick as a person with good eyesight having opened their eyes might shut them or having shut their eyes might open them. So too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, or both the agreeable and the disagreeable that arose just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily. Equanimity is established. I didn't read that clear ahead. The agreeable that arose, disagreeable arose, both arose, cease in his mind, in her mind, and equanimity is established just as quickly as if you close your eyes or you open your eyes. <coughs> so this is considered the supreme development. So the cat up on the lawn, blink your eyes, mind's back to equanimity. The flowers, think your eyes. Mine's back to equanimity. Chocolate cake, not another thought. <laughs> okay. Now, you probably can see where this is going. Sounds. Agreeable sound? The bell's gone. I'm sorry? The bell is gone. The bell is gone. What did you say? Birds song. Birds singing. Okay, disagreeable sound? Traffic. Traffic. How about the crying of a baby? Agreeable, disagreeable? <laughs> Baby's laughter? Totally agreeable. <laughs> I love the way it just is full on. <laughs> Nothing held back. Okay, what else is both disagreeable and agreeable? Sound. Rain. Rain. Yeah. And, of course, it doesn't matter. That's what the Buddha is saying. You understand that this is conditioned, gross, dependently arisen, and this is peaceful, sublime, equanimity. So the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both that arose cease, and equanimity is established just as if you were to snap your fingers. 
Okay. Smells. Agreeable smell. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> Disagreeable smell. The bags of poop. <laughs> yeah. How about cooking? Both disagreeable and agreeable. Onions. Onions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can smell great, can smell not great. Food in general goes one way or the other really fast. One time I was at a bike and we had just eaten a meal. And you know how you throw all the compost in a bucket? In the bucket, somebody had set it like on the edge of the porch and it fell over. I think it was I guess the downtown actually was there. And you went, oh. <laughs> Anyhow, you get the idea. I mean, we just ate that. What's so bad about it? Right? I'm not going to yeah, have the same feelings. Okay. <laughs> well, that's cool. But food is like that. You know, as soon as you eat it, it's disagreeable. <laughs> One way or another. <laughs> so, whatever arises, based on smelling it, when you know what is peaceful and sublime, equanimity, it's a debt, it's it's um, abandoned, and equanimity is established just as raindrops on a slightly sloping lotus leaf fall off and do not remain there. So too, anything at all, the agreeable, the disagreeable, both, that arise, they cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. By flavor. Agreeable. Mm -hmm. Honey. Disagreeable. Liver. Both. My Equanimity <laughs> 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 is established just as fast as you can spit out a ball of spittle collected on the tip of the tongue. <laughs> Okay, when the body touches a tangible object, agreeable? Dog's fur. Dog's fur. This is poor one. <laughs> <laughs> no, disagreeable? Cactus. Cactus. 
Dogs like fur. <laughs> Both. My cat licking my hand. Cat licking your hand. Indeed it is. Scratchy, but kind of. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah. <laughs> agreeable and disagreeable are both are abandoned and equanimity is established just as quickly as if a strong person were to extend their flexed arm or flex their extended arms. <laughs> okay, mind objects. This is probably the hardest, right? Okay, an agreeable mental object. Vacation plan. <laughs> Isn't that both? <laughs> no, it depends. Okay, vacation plan. Disagreeable? Politics. Politics. Yeah, almost without an exception. <laughs> Um, both. Mm. Or memories of people in the past. Range of people, the memories of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can have a very bittersweet feeling. I find death to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thoughts. The agreeable and disagreeable are both are abandoned and equanimity is established just as if you were to let two or three drops of water fall onto an iron plate heated for a whole day. The falling of the drops might be slow, but they would quickly vaporize and vanish. So, too, concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both the agreeable and disagreeable that arose just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily. They are abandoned and equanimity is established. This is called the Noble One's Discipline. In the Noble One's Discipline, the supreme development of the faculties says that um, for discipline in higher training, when you see a form of the eye, hear a sound of the ear, smell an odor with the nose, taste a flavor with the tongue, touch a tangible with the body, cognize a mind object with the mind, and there arises the agreeable, the disagreeable, both. The practitioner is disgusted by this what is agreeable, disagreeable, or both. That's how one is a disciple in higher training, one is centered upon the way. Mm-hmm. We're just done with it. Mm-hmm. 
And how is a number one with developed faculties? How is one a number one with developed faculties? They see a form, hear sounds, smell an odor, taste a flavor, touch a tangible, cognize a mental object. There arises agreeable, disagreeable, and both. And then say, if one were to wish, may I abide perceiving the unrepulsive and the repulsive? You can do that. Or if you wish, may I abide perceiving the repulsive and the unrepulsive? You can do that. Or may I abide perceiving the unrepulsive and the repulsive and the and the unrepulsive. So the unrepulsive or the repulsive in the unrepulsive and repulsive. Does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you're looking at, if the mind perceives it as agreeable, you could see the disagreeable in it as well. If it perceives it as disagreeable, you could see the agreeable in it as well. Or you could see both in what's repulsive, or you could see both in what's unrepulsive. This is how one is a noble one with developed faculties. May I avoid, let's see, if you should wish, may I avoid both the repulsive and unrepulsive and abide in equanimity, mindfully and fully aware. He abides in equanimity towards that mindfully and fully aware. The supreme development of the faculties has been taught by me. What should be done for one's disciples out of compassion by the teacher who seeks their welfare and has compassion for them that I have done for you? There are roots of trees, there are empty huts. Go meditate. (laughs) Question? Yeah. So it's openness. It's an openness, it's not. So if we see it one way, it's how we can open to see it the other way. Yes? It's our perception. Yeah. And but, or but and or. Also that everything changes. Yeah. So it's going to shift yeah. on its own accord anyway. Yeah. And, and it's our perception. And how do we open to it all? And it's impermanent. It's impermanent. It's impermanent. And if we cling to it, it's dukkha. If we want it to be, if we want it to stay the same, if we want it to be different, if we identify with it, it's dukkha. So those three characteristics, impermanence, dukkha, and not-self, it's not me, it's not mine. Developing dispassion about everything that's impermanent. What's impermanent? Everything. (laughs) Except Nibbana. So you see these two lines that we chant in the morning chanting? Sabe Sankara Anijala. All can all Sankara, all conditioned things are permanent. Sabe Dhamma Anada. All Dhamma 
myself. That's the condition that the unconditioned are not self. So it's like, yes, um, you know that the clean floor is clearly permanent. <laughs> it's going to be dirty in the next three seconds. But it's like um, there's a reason for keeping it clean. And, it's, um, and part of that is taking care of what you should take care of. So this idea that having discipline, having energy, looking after things. When I got to come out, I went off on cleaning the bathroom twice a day. And I know why. Because I was avoiding cleaning the bathroom. Surely, it was a big deal. I was just so resistant. And then that night, clean the bathroom twice a day! <laughs> Somebody had a question over here. Yes? Yeah, um... It was feeling really passionless to me. It's like, where's the passion? Where's the joy? Where's the birth to life? And where's the suffering? Yes. In all of that. All of it. And yeah, the passion. Life is. And yeah. I, hear, I hear, you know, that getting stuck in any of it is, is big dukkha. But it seems to me that this dispassionate approach is it's not appealing to me. <laughs> well, that's because you haven't felt the sublime yet. And what is sublime? That equanimity is sublime. And, and this is also part of where this joy comes in, this unworldly joy. It's joy that doesn't come from what you see here, takes such nothing. It's joy that comes from the mind being clear and pure and uplifted. It goes beyond this world. Nibbana, the Buddha said, is the highest happiness. It's peace. We have to get a taste for that. And then, yeah, the, the the pleasures of the world fade. They don't have the appeal. Agreeable disagreement. <laughs> There's a whole thing one time in ministry school when the associate ministers blew his nose in front of the whole congregation and he got like, I don't know, blamed for it. It's like, what do you do? They're <laughs> not with this. <laughs> so can you talk more about that joy equanimously thinking you know 
uh, we talk about that joy, but yeah. even that, you know, is it good? Is it bad? I mean, there's equanimity, uh, equanimousness, uh, I don't know the, the, ver- the adjective. Mm. Um, and, and then, so then, there's this natural, we talk about joy, but we seldom talk about um, what's the opposite of joy, just that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so it's important to recognize that equanimity is not the same as indifference. It's not law. It, it's, it's, well, forgive It's, it's um, spacious and it's knowing. There's joy in the knowing. Like, um, I was talking about Ibasa all the time when I was in England training, and we would have fun conversations sometimes. And I mentioned to him that one of the, one of the recordings I heard in Dr. Pamulato talked about being careful with the idea of impermanence because sometimes people get overwhelmed by it and feel bad. And Dr. Pasano said, you yeah, know, really, as people recognize the truth, reality of the way things are, they become happier. But that is certainly what I've seen. But the joy comes from the development of the mind in terms of seeing the truth of the way things are. And when the Buddha, you know, put his put the attention of the four noble truths on dukkha, it was because wherever there's dukkha, then we know that's an opportunity to find out what we're clinging to and where we're misunderstanding reality. And as we see through it, through those, through that delusion, oh, it's, it's joyful. It's counterintuitive. You see that everything's falling apart. Absolutely everything is falling apart. We keep trying to push it back into place, keep it together. We work so hard, and it's nature's fault. And once you see that, it's like, whoa, I don't have to try and make this work. It's destined to fly apart. And it's totally okay. That's the, that's the astounding part. Seeing it directly you realize that it's completely okay and there's absolutely nothing to be unhappy about. It's counterintuitive. Should depress the hell out of us. But it's the opposite. And the way that comes about is all of the aspects of the practice and to be able to see the, the dukkha in what we, we tend to want to pull towards us. And the dukkha and also trying to push it away. Then, when you speak, it sounds as if that joy is not impermanent. But well, the bana certainly isn't, and the joy that is in the experience of the unconditioned certainly isn't, and that kind of experience is a glimpse of nirvana. 
So it's like you see all the bones of nothing. This is true. So am I hearing you properly that there's a potential to be in constant joy, no impermanence in that? Well, what I can say is what the enlightened Dhanan that lives down the road from Ajakanaha said. Someone asked her, so doesn't, she's an Arahant, doesn't Arahant suffer? And she said, with the body, the body, yes, but not in the mind. And you've got this, like, well, 67 year old woman. Was she about 67? Something like that. She knew her back was aching because she was out working in the garden all day. And you could tell she was uncomfortable. And she's still sitting there talking to all these people who come to see her. And, yeah, for like three hours. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the body's hurting. But the mind's not. So, yeah, I think so. It's a, it's not it's not conditioned. The mind is free. That's where you're going with the practice. Don't get derailed by people who tell you that mindfulness should help you love the world more. Finally, uh, get more out of the sensual experience. You will love more. That comes naturally with awakening. Yes. Um, I have always found a lot of peace and joy um, and just kind of a sense of wonder that makes me feel really good um, in the natural world and I guess maybe it relates to like a question from someone or a comment from someone earlier. Like, I don't know that I can let that go, mm-hmm. and is um, and I don't, or does that shift? Mm-hmm. You know, when <coughs> the other day I saw really up close two owls in a tree, and just like lifted my heart, and I guess I get confused in these conversations oh. about what happens with that and the the world that we live in and care for and I mean I could spin off a climate change and like you know the whole bit. <laughs> yeah, so the the happiness or the joy that comes from seeing the owls in the tree or we have these beautiful banana slugs. It's funny, in the 
monks, the, the poems of the enlightened monks, although I don't really read very much of it, but I heard from people who have read it all. But they're constantly saying how beautiful these natural things are, how beautiful it is. You don't hear that from the nuns so much. You know, these, you heard they're, they're talking about hardship and freedom. And the monks, of course, are talking about freedom too. But, you know, they're out there on two dollars doing their family. And they're really enjoying nature. And so I, I, I hear the, the confusion, I think, <laughs> another game that some plays. Man, that's beautiful. Some sunset or the, the maple trees that are like right there with the redwoods and how golden they were in the fall. And she's like, that's so beautiful. But I ain't coming back for that. <laughs> so the sublime is better. The equanimity is better. Nibbana is better. And I think, you know, surrounding ourselves with natural beauty and things that if we if we appreciate it, it's not going to hurt anything. If we don't get caught in it, and we keep cultivating this spiritual, you know, awakening, it will gradually shift. What you don't want to do is start going around. And that's all that lasts for five minutes. <laughs> it's more like, wow, that's impermanent. Let's like cherish it a little bit. Don't take care of it. Mm-hmm. 